Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 76 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 11, Chapter 5, Opening the Scroll. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Man. Good morning. I do have a little video I want to show here that um, to begin our class today, I like to have a little thought to, to, to put us where we are. And if we look at the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 4, 5, 6, as we look at these chapters, um, they can almost begin to be overwhelming. The whole book of Revelation, of course, can be overwhelming. Uh, but the, we always want to keep our minds on the reason we're even studying this book. The reason we're here is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's the reason we're here. And it's in Him and Him alone is the purpose and the reason we're here. It's all about Jesus, what He's done for us. And so as we go into the book of Revelation, it can at times get a little overwhelming. But I want to remind us this morning that this is about Jesus. This is His show, so to speak. He's created us. We're joining God in His program. Uh, in the planet Earth that He created. We are not God, and He is. So we can look at the Earth and say, well, God, if You were really real, why do You have all of these tragic things? There's all kinds of places we can go in our own uh, minds, but I don't uh, feel too compelled to sit back and judge God too much. I just don't feel a huge compelling of that. And uh, <laughs> that might be a... Bad idea. So there's a lot of unanswered questions that we all have, but the one question that has been answered uh, is that all of these answers and, and everything is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And this much I can tell you is in the end, uh, we'll live happily ever after, okay? But I want, I want us to look here. Last week I had a quote from uh, Alistair Begg. It was a very good quote. Um, I'm going to take it up a level this week if if it works. Um, just a little short clip, minute perhaps, minute and a half. And uh, he approaches this, uh, how much faith do we have in Christ? We can say it's all about Christ. I get all that. But it, it's it's really all about Christ. And he gives a good little, little explanation. Uh, and he's given uh, the take on it is uh, the thief on the cross. Just a few questions for him, first of all. Are you clear on the doctrine of justification by sin? <laughs> 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 so, 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 so,
That just kind of says it all, doesn't it? And the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And that's, uh, that's how we're all sitting here this morning. And when we look at the book of Revelation, the reason we're inserted into it at certain points is because of Jesus Christ. And just like the thief on the cross, I'm somewhat persuaded that because Jesus told him he could come, because he's, we've received him and we, he's told us that we could come, I'm not sure that that can be improved on. I, I just don't know that it can. It's not that we don't strive to be more Christ-like or to, uh, to be more Christ-like and to live by the Word of God. I mean, that's a, of an advantage to us. Right? It's a, I mean, even if you're lost, it's a good way to live. And uh, so for us to keep our minds on this book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of who he is and what he's done. He gives us the revelation of what's happening. And truly, it's an honor to be in here today with you believers uh, under, under this banner of the reason we're here is because a man in the middle. Amen. He said we could come. And we don't want to, if you get too far away from that, we tend to get into heresy. I'll just be very honest with you. If you, if you get too far away from the cross, the gospel tends to get diluted. And so we just want to keep, as Peter Lord said, the main thing, the main thing, especially as we jump into this book of, of Revelation. Amen? So that's where we'll begin today. And and we're going to pick up at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. That's where we were last week as we're viewing this situation of this revelation of Jesus Christ. We know that the first chapter uh, speaks about this vision and this revelation that, that John was getting. Chapters 2 and 3 are about the church uh, in the world. It's about the church. What will the church look like? Chapter 2 and 3. And we get into chapter 4, and I went over a lot of it. I'm not going to redo it, but I've got to pick up a little something to go into chapter 5 here. And there again, I'm not going to, I'm, I've, I'm feel compelled to do these first chapters, but then I'm going to jump over two-thirds of the book because it's, and I'll tell you why. We might can come back to it. But uh, as I jump over it, I'll give a little wider overview and it's a good chance for, I'm going to bring us back into the book of Daniel because it's of importance that we understand this prophecy in Daniel of the 70, of 70 weeks of what's happening so we can understand more. There's no need to go in a lot of Revelation without bringing in Daniel. So, but in Revelation 4.1, and I, he says he looked up there, and you know the, the Scripture. He said, after this, after what? After chapters 1, 2, and 3. So... And as y'all know, and I've, uh, I've allowed everybody to believe how they want to, but as you know, I am a pre-tribulation rapture type guy. And, uh, but, and there are some reasons, and I will point those out a little along as, as we move forward. And um, it just so happens how you believe and how I believe doesn't affect how, what God will do. And, uh, and I totally realize that. Uh, but I, I have some conclusions that I come to, and it, if God changes me in the future, I'm all for that, because I have changed a lot over the years. But he says, after this, after what? It's after 
It's after something. And I believe that uh, this is where I would insert the rapture of the church. But he said, after this, uh, be hereafter. So we know starting in chapter 4, he's speaking of some hereafter things. And, um, but here we see also, which is interesting, he encounters 24 elders uh, around the throne. We went over those some last week. Uh, now, in some uh, translations, it'll say that they were, uh, it calls them they were on thrones. Some says seats, uh, that they were sitting in seats. Uh, thrones is probably a little closer uh, translation to me. It says they're in white raiment, in which we know that's white stands for, uh, for righteousness. Uh, that they were, so you had these 24 elders. And I gave some uh, scripture last week, if you want to go back and listen to it, on uh, some of the ideas how people today you have what's taught. Uh, I don't want to open up a can of worms, but I've never avoided a can of worms uh, about uh, the courts of heaven. We have some in here that lead prayer in the courts of heaven. And uh, there's all different, just like the rapture of the church, there's all different thinking on the courts of heaven or whatever. And I'll let you have your court if you'll let me have my rapture. How's that? Okay. So, so we see that they were in white raiment here. And it says they had crowns of gold. You know, they have something that they lay at the feet. Uh, and then it says that they sing a song of the redeemed, which is incredible, of what takes place in this, throne room, courtroom, if you will, uh, of heaven. And, and last week I went over what it looked like, the settings, some of the things that were in it. Uh, I understand that, uh, and I even suggested you know, that we can be caught up. Uh, that's the reason I say I wouldn't do away with the word rapture because there's a lot of different types of raptures in Scripture. If you do away with one, you're going to have to do away with all of them, and I don't think you want to do that. Uh, so... Uh, but anyway, it shows, I, I gave this understanding in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 also of what can happen. But if you're interested in that, you can go back uh, and listen to uh, last week's. Um, now in 5, it says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. You see that? Uh, now, in Revelation 1.20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars, this is back in the first chapter, which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, the angels, the seven churches, seven candlesticks, where thou sawest of the seven churches. Now, it's interesting here, you got seven uh, lamps of fire burning, uh, which some of us, and for reasons of word study uh, and things, it appears that the seven candlesticks are the same as the and you, then it, it looks as though those candlesticks were taken up to the throne room, which are the seven churches. So that's one allusion you call it to the seven churches being called up into the throne room of God. Because here we see that there uh, these seven lamps or the seven candlesticks are the same. So now let's go on into um, the seven sealed book of Revelation five. Now I'm leading up to. The, the, the seven seals. And we'll get into, so I got to go here to get into chapter uh, six. And so I will actually try to do this quite quickly. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. 
Now, it's, now, now the parch, there's a difference in parchment and scrolls. Uh, uh, parchment was more of a page. Uh, there's another term that escapes me at the moment. Uh, but the, the, you had parchment, which is a page. Then you had a scroll, which was kind of pages sewn together, and then they rolled it up. So most things were scrolls. But you never, but since it was a scroll, you did not write on the back. And the way the papyrus, the way it was created, was it was hammered, and they made one smooth side, and the back side was rough. And so you didn't. It was hard to write on the back side. But if you had a document that was written on the back side or had information on the back side, uh, it was usually an important document, and it was like a will or a title. And so the document, when it's written on the back side, so a lot of the the instruction, if it's written on two sides, like it says here, is the that tells us it's a very important doc document. But who can read it? And the instructions is usually on the rough side, on, on the back side. So this is significant as we look at this. He goes into verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loosen the seals thereof? And he said, No man in heaven nor in earth, and neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now you've got to understand, they're looking for someone to open this scroll, this important scroll. This is in chapter 5, and we get into that scroll in chapter 6, which is very significant what's inside. Now verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book neither to look thereupon. So John was at this time of the vision, very concerned that it could not even perhaps be opened. What does this scroll represent? Revelation 10, 7. I moved quick, uh, forward a little bit to bring some understanding to the scroll. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, now look at that. That's the seventh angel. He began to sound. The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants and the prophets. So this scroll is a mystery book, technically. It's titled The Mystery of God. So we got the scroll. We, if we fast forward a little bit, it gives us a little more information. It's called a mystery uh, scroll. It answers questions that men have been asking for generations, which no one has been able to answer. Now, the scroll was written on the back and the front. I've already said that. Ancients seldom wrote on both sides. When both sides of the scroll were written on, it was indication that it was a very, very important message. Now, John hears an invitation that if anyone can open the scroll, let him step forward. So as he's seeing this vision, he's looking to see who steps forward. Who was worthy, the angel cries. To open the scroll. Who among us is capable of leading us into solutions to the problems that have been here for centuries? And honestly, we, the world keeps looking f everywhere but the right place. The question was, who's smart enough? Who's moral enough? Who's worthy? Uh, through centuries, there have been many who that have tried. You've got Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> You got Alexander the Great, you got Julius Caesar, you got Charlemagne in France, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, if you're an American. No wonder John wept. <laughs> he had a lot to cry about, didn't he? Uh, and we, you know, we, we've got this. We had Moses in the scriptures, we had Elijah, Joshua, King David, of course. Here's Daniel. Wouldn't Daniel, you would think. 
There's the Apostle Paul. You got John Wesley, get more contemporary. George Whitfield. Billy Sunday. Charles Finney. And of course, let's not leave out ours. Uh, Billy Graham. It's just, uh, just to give an idea of what was, what was going through uh, John's mind because most of us would think, well, I think I could handle that scroll. Um, but it says here that there was one worthy, and it's verse 5, and the one of the elders said unto me, now there's the elders again, and I'll keep pointing this, these 24 elders keep popping up from time to time. Um, uh, one place, I, commentary I read that, this guy said, well, those elders are all angels, but it couldn't be because the elders refer to all the angels, so that couldn't be that. Most churches today do not realize that Jesus is Jewish and he'll rule the earth. Now, that, you just got to make that distinction in replacement theology. Uh, they abandon all of this stuff. But, but for good, a good Bible student, you, you've got to understand that Jesus will rule and reign the earth. Matter of fact, it appears to me that earth's probably going to be ground zero to the kingdom of God, according to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. There are over 1,800 references to this, to this in Scripture. Luke 1.32, He shall be great, and He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto Him the throne of His father David, and He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there what? It says there'll, there'll be no end. Now, and always interject and remember, the reason this is meaningful to us is because the man on the middle cross said it was. Right? Don't ever forget that. The man in the middle cross is the reason that we're even sitting here interested. And not only are we sitting here interested, and I'm, I mean, I'm like, uh, like the preacher there said, we made it. How did we make it? Because we look at our, all of our individual lives on how there's no way we should be in. Now, the thief was with him in paradise, it said, the next, just shortly after Jesus told him that. But the day we became born again, we made it. We're in. We're in. And yes, I'm one of those that believes in eternal security. Y'all overlook me. You can have your court. You let me have in eternal security. Because when you're in, you're in. I didn't get in on my accord. He brought me in. He keeps me in. And I rejoice in that. If I, I would be a very sad individual if I thought my performance is what kept me in. I'd be one sad puppy. Because I know that I'd fail. So just keep that in mind as we continue on here. Uh, John 19 says, and, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. This is uh, just so amazing to me. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Y'all know the title that was put over him. But did you realize the protest that, was, that came after this? This title then read uh, many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written he, in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the, of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Well, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So 
when he wrote that, there was a protest. And surely um, God was in that writing. So that's who Jesus is. He's the one, of course, that we know that can open the scroll. In verse 6, it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, there it is again, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes. The, the horns is, is wisdom, integrity. Seven eyes is all seen, of course, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. There is a little picture in this rendition, this painting of the lamb that was slain. There's, uh, of course, the seven horns, seven eyes depicted upon uh, this lamb. There, of course, is the scroll. Now, it, it, we have this spoken of Christ that is the lion and the lamb, uh, kind of a double identity. And it has a... It has a lot to do with the role he's playing at, at, at the time. Uh, I am a farmer and a preacher. Uh, I'm not farming right now. Well, maybe I am in a way. But, I mean, you can have a, a dual role uh, that you're walking out. This is the same thing here with Christ. When you, you have a picture of a lion, you have a picture of a land, uh, just a little more understanding that goes with that. Here's some prophetic comparisons, I'll call it. A lamb submit, lions conquer, right? That's the nature that we see there. Lambs die, lions roar. The lamb refers to the first coming, which we know is true, but the lion refers to the second coming, okay? So we can see when you see the references of the lamb and the lion, automatically you got a, a, a prophetic reference here that lets you know how to interpret what you're looking at. Are you with me? So when he's referred to the lion, you know it's referring to his second coming. When he's referred to as the lamb, you know it's talking about the first coming. So these are, these are things that we use when we're prophetically looking at Scripture uh, to have the proper application. In God's covenant with David, his lion was to rule over all the whole earth is the lion of, of Judah. And there again, I believe that it says in the last chapter of Revelation that the new Jerusalem, which we know that's where heaven is now, will be coming down to this earth. I think that will be a literal landing of the new Jerusalem upon this earth. It says that Jesus uh, do. I think the new Jerusalem today in heaven, in the heavens, uh, if you want to know what it looks like, I think it looks something like the old town Jerusalem looked like. I think it looks something like that, except it's uh, supersized a little bit, taking it up a notch, went from kind of a two-star to a five-star. And uh, so it's going to sit down on this earth. And, we, and it appears that Jesus uh, is going to rule and reign the universe from planet earth. It's what it appears to be. Some people have a problem with that. I'm just telling you, if you take the book literal, uh, that's the, the way it looks. Now, it also appears that the body of Christ, which we are, will be ruling and reigning with him in the heavenlies. Uh, perhaps we'll get into that in a little bit or down through the book. But So our promises are in the heavenlies. The Jewish promises are more on the earth, where the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, is more in the heavenlies. 
So it gives us the indication and the idea. I'm not saying that we don't have some earthly promises because we've been grafted into these promises, which is true. But yet the Jewish uh, uh, prophecies and application of Scripture are uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, as an example. It's more, uh, the earth, uh, the Jewish nation has more to do with a, with a land, earth, and with a king sitting on a throne ruling and reigning uh, the earth. That's, that's more Jewish type prophecy, which, yes, are we in there? We are. But also we got some other information, and that is that we are seated with him in the heavenlies, ruling and reigning with him in the heavenlies. And um, so therefore I am uh, uh, I'm trying, and my goal, or I, that's not really it either, my desire is to understand more about this heavenly the heavenlies than I've known in the past. So I study more about the heavenlies. It's one reason the courts of heaven thing interests me some, uh, even though I haven't been given um, an impartation of that. Uh, so I have to rely on others' impartations that I trust, right? And and so, as but as I'm viewing it and looking into it, I want to know more about how different people are interpreting that, seeing we're going to be spending eternity there. I just like to read the brochure before I get there, uh, if you will. <laughs> uh, so here we're going into this next, talking about these elders. And when he had taken it, uh, the four living creatures and the uh, 24 elders uh, fell down before the lamb. Uh, I used a different, uh, um, in some translation, it calls it beast. Here it says creatures. It's I think does a little better justice to it. And the 24 elders, it says, fell down before the Lamb there. So we got this panoramic view of heaven, these 24 elders. And it says that they fall down before the Lamb here. Uh, each one had a harp, it says. Uh, each elder had a harp. And they were holding golden uh, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we know that that's one of the... Um, uh, job parts of the job description of the 24 elders is we do know that the where do our prayers go that's where they go into those bowls into the into the throne room and it, and it says here they're holding the bowls full of incense which are the prayers um, of the saints and now think about that I don't I'd be hard pressed it doesn't say some it doesn't say well all of them didn't make it the only qualification is there is the prayers of the saints. That there, and, and there's some significance to these prayers uh, in this bowl. We'll also get to a place that there's bowls that are being poured out of wrath. And so it's significant that these prayers are put in a bowl. And perhaps we can get into that just a little later. But just take note of that. Now, here's the opening, and it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and which would say creatures in some translations, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, in all honesty, it hasn't happened but two or three times in my life, but I've been into a, a situation, the presence of God was there. All of a sudden, you smell an like a flower or something. You say, or there's an odor, as aroma. Uh, just for giggles and grins, as I said, as Barney said, um, how many people have ever smelled kind of an odor in the presence of God? Uh, okay. 
All right. So, so you know what I'm, I'm talking about. It's a little odd, but I've been I've been in those situations where it's a it's a it's a it's a visitation, if you will. The Holy Spirit's in the place. It's very and uh, when I was at Shiloh and with Jeff uh, Rowan uh, in the revival there, it happened quite often. Uh, uh, the main smell was like roses, uh, or Jeff and I thought it was like roses, but uh, like we probably really know, but uh, it, to us, it was like, we'd say, you know, do you smell that, you know? And, you'd, and you're like, all of a sudden, it's just a huge, and so we started noticing that it tended, every now and then you'd get a shot of an aroma uh, in the room because the presence of God was moving, it was there, and uh, we ended up thinking that the Holy Spirit was letting us know this is okay. This is, this is good or whatever. That's our interpretation. We're trying to come figure it out. And that's where we settled anyway. Uh, but we also know biblically that, is, uh, that has a lot to do with the movement of God, the prayers of the saints. Uh, so don't be surprised uh, if you don't smell an odor around wor- worship and prayer. I pray it's a good odor, okay? But uh, don't be surprised. Now, th- this is the worship of heaven is what's happening there. And so when we start keying in or touching in on heaven, it's not unusual to have some of this spiritual phenomena happen in our midst. Uh, we who are redeemed uh, also uh, contribute to the work of redemption. Now, here's what Paul said to Timothy. I exhort, therefore, first of all, supplication, prayers, enter. Uh, sessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. So we're seeing that that's happening, but also we see that that's what's happening in heaven, and we're going to tie this together here in just a moment. Uh, the 24 elders and the four living creatures around the throne are singing a song. Um, they never felt themselves. Uh, it is uh, new to them because as angels, they have never been uh, redeemed. Now, this is interesting. Now, watch it. And this is what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou uh, wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign uh, on the earth. And so this is a new song. Now, it's important that we understand that uh, the behavior of heaven is worship. I'm sure that they maybe go outside the court and, you know, drink a Coke or something. I don't know. I'm sure there's interim times. But we know that going around this court of heaven, this throne room of heaven, is just like it's continual uh, worship. Uh, now, just as a side note, if you've ever been sick or, or in a place of crisis, let's say, uh, I advise you to take your CD player, put it on some worship music, turn it down real low, and play it in your house or your car, wherever you are, headphones or whatever, to set up a, a worship scene that sets up an, a kinship to heaven. And so it starts, so worship does that to the human soul. And, uh, uh, but just consider that as a, as a side note, because that's what's happening there. 
Then I looked up and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. That's a bunch. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So you see, there's a differentiating there of elders and angels. So we know that they're not the same thing there. Then he goes on to say this, In a loud voice they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be praised and honor and glory and power forever. Then he says, uh, amen. Let it be so. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down to worship. Now, those four living creatures will come in, uh, view more as you continue uh, there and also cross referencing with Daniel. A man says things are getting better and better. God says they will become increasingly worse. Man says that peace among nations is close at hand. Man expects to win the battle against disease, famine, and hardship. God says there is to be fearful judgments of disease, famine, and hardship. Now, when we get into chapter 6, all right, let me say this first. We are living in the interval. You've got the 69 weeks, the three, we've about got to do the, what's going on with the 70 weeks of Daniel sometime because you've, you've got a gap in between the 69th week and the 70th week in Daniel in the prophecy. It's called an interval time. Well, we know we're living in that interval time. That's the reason it's from Daniel that I say that we're living in an interval in the prophecy of Joel. And we're living in a time that there's an outpouring of the Spirit upon your sons and your daughters, yada, yada, yada. Then it says the moon will be turned to blood and then you'll have you. We know that we're in a, in a gap or in an interval in the prophecy of Joel. Well, that's, that's also in Daniel. And so the time we're living in is a time of a mystery, a secret, the Bible says. We're living in the day of the grace of God. It's a day. And I just praise God. And, and, and why, why is that so important? Because in this day that we're living in, the man in the middle said we could be there. That's why that means something to you. The man on the middle cross said we could be here. Why? Because God wanted a time in history that he did nothing but pour out his grace and mercy. And there was a product. We are the product of God wanting to give an example to the earth of his grace and his mercy. Now, let me interject something here. I've prayed for the sick and I've prayed for the lost. I've done all kinds of things. I've, had, I've noticed that I've had greater success, not like I've had the success, but I've noticed that when I call, cry out for mercy versus me demanding, I have better results. <laughs> if anybody can hear what I'm saying. It's like mercy goes a long ways today, and my demanding doesn't do a lot. But when I call upon God, show His grace and His mercy. It just seems, y'all test what I'm saying here, but it just seems to me that I've, when I really pour out grace and mercy, God, give us grace and mercy here. It's better than me trying to walk being some strong spiritual person that goes around demanding uh, everybody, demons to flee and all this. I, uh, I'm more, I, I have greater success in mercy and grace. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to work on the other. 
but I, I'm just not too good at it. Maybe I'll get there. So we're in an interval here, 69 weeks of Daniel. you got an interval week, which I, or an interval time, I should have said, in between the 70th week. Revelation 6 through 19 is a detail of the 70th, uh, 70th week of Daniel. Uh, there will be a false peace or a, a treaty, which y'all know. Uh, the harpazo, which is the, is the Greek word, is, is the catching away, uh, I believe will be before the beginning of the 70th week. And, and we know that in, when we, we start into chapter 6, we're, we're getting ready to step into that 70th week. And I want to explain that quickly. Now, in Matthew 24, the great tribulation, for then shall be great tribulation such as what's not seen, uh, beginning of the world to this time, nor no ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, that there no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, that brings us into chapter 6. Now, chapter 6, it starts off with the, we got four horsemen here. First rider is a white horse. And uh, uh, and now let me say this: the backdrop of the book is about spiritual warfare. That, that's where we're heading into now. It's about spiritual warfare. Now we're going to get into, as you can see, in Revelation six one through eight. And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one or four beasts saying, "Come and see." And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the uh, second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse was red, and power was given to him that set upon them take uh, peace away from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So we get into chapter 6. You got these uh, four horsemen. Now, you're going to have famine, earthquakes. You're going to have, this is where, uh, the part of Revelation uh, begins uh, that shows the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. Now, I believe that the harpazo, the rapture of the church, happens right before uh, this first horse uh, rides. Now, let me say this. We have, uh, of the four horsemen, or of Revelation chapter 6, we have, in other words, we have disease now. We have war now, right? Uh we have everything that these horsemen are going to be, uh, these seven seals, we have everything on the earth now that are in these, these seven seals. Now, so you say, well, Alan, how, it's no big, it looks like to me it's already here. Well, it is already here, but you've got to understand something. Satan cannot create anything. He's not a creator. But he, so he comes in riding on a white horse like he's, like he's Jesus. There's actually five horsemen. The first one's white, last one's white. Uh, the first one here, this is the Antichrist. So he comes in right now. So he, he's introduced to the world. He comes in on a white horse. He looks like a savior. Now here's what happens. The ant spirit of the Antichrist, we have these things on the earth. But the spirit of the Antichrist, we got disease here, but he's going to explode disease. We have war, but he's going to explode wars. So when you have these seals popped, it's not that these things aren't here, but all of a sudden, well, I mean, you could say, well, Alan, looks like me that um, the book of Revelation already started. A third of the Jews, they claim, were killed with Hitler. But, but that's not it, because two-thirds get killed when, when this comes on the scene. So, so, so 
Was it here? Yes. But this Antichrist is going to explode uh, all of these uh, bad things, uh, so to speak. Uh, that's the reason, and I'll say it out loud, I'm very concerned about all of the man-made diseases that we're having today. I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned because uh, there's got to be something uh, dark at work here to, to bring this. So do I think the spirit of the Antichrist is, hey, I, yeah, I do. I think mankind would be pretty good shape if, if the devil would just go home. I think we'd be in pretty good shape. We were feeding everybody and disease was kind of under control and all that. But anyway, he's, going to, he's got to create a reason why he's the Savior. Are you with me? And we're seeing that we're kind of living in some of this. So, so we have a token of all the horses, all the seals out here in the earth, last, even now. But what happens when we move into this scene of the 70th week of Daniel and the beginning of the tribulation? I, actually, it's not seven years of tribulation. It's actually the last three and a half. We call it all tribulation. The last three and a half, you call it the great tribulation. So... But none, nonetheless, who's going to argue over three and a half years if you're in the middle of that? Uh, so we, we can see that things are building to that, which makes us very suspicious of the day that, that and time that we're living in. So our main goal living in this day that we're living is to remember the man on the middle cross said we could be here. That is what sustains us. The memory of why we're here, the memory of why do we evangelize the lost, the memory of why do we pray for the sick, why do we pray for people in crisis, why do we do these things? Because the man on the middle cross asked us to do it in his stead. That's why we do it. And surely that's the least we can do for what he's done for us. So that gives us an idea. I'm going to hush. We'll pick up here next week if you're interested. So if you would stand and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you and we thank you for this day. Jesus, thank you that you were on that middle cross and you said if we received you that we could be here. We could be part of your kingdom, part of your kingdom people. And Lord, we don't claim to be, that I don't claim to be able to teach everything perfect and just right. But Lord, I make a shot at it and I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to sort it out to people. And I'll stand up here and be guilty of trying to proclaim it. But I can do it because I can trust in your Holy Spirit to bring revelation of truth. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We ask and pray that your spirit would be with us that we would be with us in truth and we would respond. Lord, I pray that this room would turn into a little bit of heaven on earth, uh, that we're sitting around your throne, we're worshiping you, we're laying down our crowns at your feet. We've got a petition of our prayers and we pray, oh God, that you'd be among us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.